I do feel like that weird uncle that comes back uh, 17 years and you haven't seen him. And back in my day when I was a young person, when relatives would come, they would often come bearing home movies. I don't know if any of you older people uh, can relate to that, but they would uh, come with either pictures or a slideshow. So I thought I would bring to you uh, Uncle Mike's slideshow today and show you, for those of you that are new to the church in the last 19 years since I left here, uh, a little bit of our history, if you will. So the very first slide is, it's kind of a, a picture of the original leadership team of this church. Danny was the senior pastor, and that's Cindy and me, believe it or not, and you might have a hard time believing it. Uh, on the left, and that was Mark and Linda Lawson on the right. We always did a lot of fun things together. Danny believed in fellowship, so the next slide will show us playing miniature golf together, and uh, obviously that must be Cindy taking that picture. Next slide, we sent Mark and Linda to Atlanta, and then we brought on Chip and Holly Chu, and they're on the left. And as the church was growing, so were our family members. But during the years, we had so many great times here, a lot of friendships. Go to the next slide, if you will. This is, uh, we vacationed together, and I don't know if you can see that or not, but Danny and Chip are showing us fun things that you can do with a brownie. And that was a lot of fun. And the next slide, uh, dear friends, at the very first ever bash, Tom and Debbie Walter. Next slide is uh, another good friend of mine, Louis Seaford, we worked together on an outreach called Camp Destiny, and the anointing was great in spite of those tube socks. And it was awesome. Uh, wasn't long, and the Nashes were here. Mike and I are at a parent-son campout together here, and those glasses are definitely from the 80s. I'm not sure where those came from. But the final slide in my picture today is the very young, a, a little bit later, now leader of this church, Chris, and my daughter, Stephanie. So just a little bit of the history. A little bit of the history of MetroLife Church, and it's really amazing to be back on this stage. Uh, we, hard to believe, moved back to Orlando as I retired from full-time ministry in uh, September of 2019, so it's almost two years ago that we've been back. It's really hard for me to get my brain around that. Uh, I am so thrilled to be able to bring this passage. We're going to read through the section of Scripture in just a moment, but in introduction to it, uh, we're talking about Paul in one of the most profound books that we uh, can possibly study in the Bible, the book of Romans, and there are many things that Paul did not have in common with us today, then we couldn't possibly have shared what he did. First of all, the amazing simplicity in Paul's day, think about it, they didn't have any of these things that we have that are electric, the technologies, no phones, no internet, no videos, no TikTok. Paul had none of the time-saving devices that you and I just think we cannot possibly live without. And uh, yet, these things that we have today, I believe sometimes uh, Paul was better off. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a restaurant, I'm sure you have, and notice, take a look around, and, and people are not talking, they've got their faces down in the screens of their phones. Paul did not have that, that distraction. I think at times we've lost something. I think it's great to be at 
uh, certain times where you have friends who pass a basket and uh, they drop the, phone call, the phones in the basket so no calls can interrupt it. I think that's a really great exercise. But Paul did not have that distraction, as do we. Secondly, Paul did not enjoy the modes of travel that are available to us. He could not take a plane. He didn't have a car. He didn't even have a bike. So every time that Paul went to these places where he ministered, it was either by foot, most of the time by foot, maybe by a horse or a, a, a chariot or a carriage perhaps, uh, occasionally taking a ship from one uh, land to another. That's how Paul did that. One thing that he did have in common with us, he had the ability to write, and thank goodness he did, because we are the benefactors of his writing. He did have pen and paper, and by God's grace, his writing was not only there for a few people to read, but it, as circular letters were, many people read, and obviously the Lord used his writing now all of these years later, 2,000 years later, we are still able to read the words of this man. He had a greater impact than any New York Times bestseller. And one thing else that I know that we can attempt to share in common with Paul, and that was his heart for God, his heart for the kingdom. And so as I am sharing these words today, as we study this scripture, we have to remember that as with any scripture, there is an original audience in mind, there's a historical context in mind, there is the, the grammar of the day that needs to be taken into consideration. But the wonderful thing about scripture is the spillover effect that as we study the life of Paul and the life of what was happening in his, uh, in his day, it spills over into us. And there's an impact that it can bring on our lives in the 21st century. And I'm praying that that will happen today in this passage because Paul was a kingdom of God man. And I am honored to be able to tell you that the reason Cindy and I moved down here in 1985 was because God had put that same heart, we believed, in the heart of Danny Jones when he started this. And what excited me so much, enough, enough to move from Indiana to leave our family, to leave the security of a job, and a ministry there to move to a, uh, an unknown place was the fact that we believed we were moving in light of the kingdom of God and with a kingdom plan. And we just did not see that plan anywhere else. For us, it was moving to Orlando, and it was a joy to do that. So the wonderful principles that drove Paul from place to place, you think, why, why would he do that? Well, he did it because of the kingdom of God and because of the grace that God had given him. Uh, th this scripture today that we're looking at uh, may not be one, if you've just quickly read through it, it doesn't have any dynamic healings. There's not a lot of uh, uh, really amazing dialogue that happens apart from his letter to friends in Rome. But yet, this passage is the inspired word of God. And because of that, it has something to say to us today in 2021. So let's pray and let's ask God to be with us as we begin to get into the unpacking of this word. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for Paul. Lord, I thank you for the grace that was upon his life. 
Lord, I thank you for the faith that you gave him. And I do pray for that spillover effect to touch our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're beginning with verse 14 in chapter 15 of Romans. Paul, the minister to the Gentiles. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, the Jewish people, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what I has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all, Amen. Lord, bless the reading of His Word. And I would love to unpack this passage today with three phrases. Number one, Paul's confidence and calling. Number two, Paul's commitment. And number three, 
Paul's cry. Let's look at that first one as we jump in today. Paul's confidence and calling. Paul was clearly confident in the Roman church's relationship with God. The, this church had it going on. The grace of God was evident there, and Paul is reminding them of this. And it was, it was a, it, with our vernacular, we could say it this way. Paul wasn't worried about that church. That church had it going on. That church was doing the work that they were called to do. They were able to teach, and they were representing the gospel of Jesus to their area. But just like all churches, like our church, like any church, like any group of people, they are imperfect people, and they were an imperfect church. They were a church that needed from time to time reminding of the grace of God that had been preached to them. And that's the part of the call to every pastor is to remind the church and to remind himself. Every pastor has to do that reminding as well of the grace of God so that we can always keep our motive about that kingdom of God thing that Paul was doing. Paul was always on a mission. And sometimes, like any mission, like any job, like any time when you're doing a, a work for God, it feels like it's an uphill battle. I know you can uh, re, 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 really relate to that fact. If uh, Danny was talking about the, the couple that was up here. Uh, when I remember the job of raising children, it, it was an uphill battle. It was, uh, you know, every day you're tired. There's often not much sleep to go around when you've got young children. And then some of your children, like some of mine were, they were at times a challenge. I remember Judy Jones used to say this of my son David. Oh, he's going to be a great leader someday. I just wouldn't want your job. And by God's grace, that worked out wonderfully for us. It was tough work, though. It was an uphill battle. And one of the favorite expressions that I heard as a young man in ministry was this. The only time that you ever coast is when you're coasting downhill. When you're walking up a hill, you never coast uphill. But we as humans like to coast. We as humans like to maybe take a little bit of the work off and just kind of relax and enjoy. But my friends, until we get to heaven, it's going to be an uphill battle. We're going to be going up. That's the plan. So Paul expresses his heart to see the Romans, but he's got an uphill battle right in front of him first. He's coming to that sense, he says, where uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you soon. I believe in my heart, but I've got to stop on my way to Spain. I've got to stop first in Jerusalem. I have this thing that I have to do. Now, Paul goes over some of the phrases in this passage that he's used before. Let's look at some of those phrases. First of all, he refers to himself as a bit of a priest, but unlike a Jewish priest that made sacrifices in the temple as they did back in that day, Paul is a priest to the Gentiles. He has been called by God, he has been called by God, and they are like an offering that he's presenting, their very lives. Those who have professed the mighty name of Jesus would be the real deal, and in fact, they would be the seal, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit upon this offering that was being given and being worked on in the field by Paul. Paul makes it clear to church 
that grace had been given to him to be a light to this group of people, the Gentiles. In the very beginning, the Jewish people were not excited about the fact that the Lord's work had been opened up to the Gentiles. And Paul was a light. And he had that light stretched before him. And everywhere he went, his heart was to share the light. And now, as he's coming to this transitional time, he sees the light extending all the way into this land that was very important in that day. It was becoming a, a hub, the area of Spain. And Paul desired to go to Spain. But he had these stops first, first of all in Jerusalem. And then he was going to stop and see his friends, finally, in Rome. And in a godly sense, Paul was very proud, and he let them know uh, in this writing that he was very proud of the outcome. And he reminded them that his work in Judea, he felt, was ending. There was a sense of transition coming. And he thought he was just about there for his long-awaited trip to see his friends in Rome. Number two, Paul's commitment. If there was ever a committed servant to God, it had to be Paul. Paul was driven by a great ambition. John Piper actually referred to Paul's ambition as a holy ambition. Consider the words from Paul. He's illustrating to this church that is so dear to his heart, he desperately wanted to travel to Rome, but the ambition, this ambition that was in his heart had really kept him back in the region where he was writing from in Judea, and in these other areas. And we know already that Paul's plans at times got changed by God. Think of Macedonia, the Macedonian call that came to him. He was going to go this way, but God's call says, no, I want you to go that way. It was constantly delaying him. He would always be delayed, but he did all that he could do to trust and obey the Lord in the steps that God had called him to take. His travels had taken him on a zigzag course already throughout the Middle East and Europe from Jerusalem to Illyricum. If you don't know the name of Illyricum, that would be modern-day Albania, uh, or part of it was Yugoslavia. We've heard of those places in these days. All of this either again on foot or on horseback or carriage or by ship. 35 years of hard, exhausting travel. And there's a map I'd like to flash up there if it's available hope it is. Uh, if it's not, no worries. Uh, but the map where Paul went was all over the place. It was a huge area that went from one coast to a, another coast and from this area to another area. And it, talk about uphill battle. It seems to me like it would have been an uphill uh, battle just to get to a, a portion of the areas that Paul preached in. But it was completely overwhelming to me as I looked and you can open your Bible. Most Bibles have a map of the travels of Paul. And my friends, it is nothing but amazing that he was able to do this. But he wasn't like most people. Paul, he had, had experienced the gospel in a life-changing way. The Lord had called him to do this work and given him this ambition that was not to enjoy a comfy life, but a life that was going to be well, it was going to be lived for the gospel. And in particular, lived to preach the name of Jesus to the Gentile people. 
What would give Paul such a drive? What motivated him to do all of this? It was his love for Jesus and the task at hand of preaching the gospel to those who had not yet heard the gospel story, which is the greatest story ever told. You know, I think in, in my life, I, I've seen how easy it is for me to kind of want to veg for a while. Uh, there's most men in our day and age know the feeling of that moment when you come home after a hard day's work. And there's this sense of entitlement, I believe, that we men kind of start imbibing that says we just need to put our feet up on the recliner, stretch out, and, and just take a nap. But Paul had no such pleasures. There was no such uh, willingness to just live his life for the comfy. He had a job to do. And as he is saying to his friends in Rome, I've got a stop in Jerusalem. And it was to be a fateful stop. In some of the uh, ways, the, the stop that he was about to make in Jerusalem, and you can read about this in Acts 21, it was to be a life-changing stop. It wasn't just to be a delay in his trip. It was going to change everything about the days that were ahead for him. Number three, Paul's cry. It wasn't as if Paul entered Jerusalem thinking he was universally loved. He knew he wasn't. He knew better. Much of his ministry had actually put him at odds, if you will, to not only the enemies of, of what uh, Jesus had spoken of the Word, but he was, a, he was an enemy to many of the uh, Roman soldiers and wasn't always even fondly thought of by the Jewish people either. He had lots of unbelievers who were angry at him. He had many, many people who wanted to kill him. It wasn't like he hadn't been warned either of the danger that awaited him. His brothers and traveling companions were all worried. They were at times tearful, and they were very fearful. In fact, he had actually had a few prophetic words that had come to him, given him an explicit warning of the fact that his hands could be bound if he goes in to Jerusalem. Without a doubt, Paul faced an uncertain future. He went into Jerusalem with this idea of Rome and beyond Rome, Spain. But Paul had no idea of what was waiting for him as he went into Jerusalem. He called on his friends, though. He did this one thing, and this we read about in this passage. He had a cry. And what do I mean by a cry? Well, Paul cried out not only to the, his friends, but he cried out to the Lord in prayer. When he's facing an uncertain time in his life, th th again, I want to remind you, this growing sense of transition, a growing sense that he was done in that area, and now he's waiting to go, but there's this darkness waiting me. What do we do when we have a situation like that? I believe we do the same thing that Paul did. We pray. We pray to God, and he asked his friends to join him in prayer. Pray for me. And then he has this unusual phrase, strive together in prayer. Don't just pray a prayer. 
strive together, yearn, pray. I believe that when we pray, there's a courage that God gives us that we didn't have before we prayed. I believe there's a willingness to accept that uphill battle that we're facing. I believe that God puts something in us of strength that's going to take us along those steps into this plan. That's the kind of prayer that James talks about in the book of James where he talks about the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man. It brings about much, he said. It changes things. I'm not talking about sing-song prayers that you might have in a, a bedtime prayer that's a nursery rhyme or if you've ever seen the few movies that are made or television shows where people pray and it's just like this nice little rhetorical prayer of, Lord, be with us, amen. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. That's not a bad prayer. Pray that prayer. But there's a time and there's a place that we get down to business in prayer. And we begin to call on God with a fervency. And by the power of God, God begins to give us effectual answers to those kinds of prayers. If you're facing a surgery, for example, if you're facing an uncertain outcome of a medical diagnosis, I'll bet you don't have to be told to pray. And I would bet that you might even be willing to fast and pray. But pray hard, you would. I remember standing in this very room, right over where Chris and Bev are today, as we prayed for Chris Yates several months back. He was facing a surgery, and several of the community group leaders that we're a part of, which is Bob and Bonnie's group, we were all gathered around him and praying because they were leading from prayer from up here, and we were praying for there, and we were all praying Uh, what I would think about as being a deep prayer. We love Chris, and he was facing a, a difficult surgery, and we were crying out to God on his behalf. But I, I took note that standing right in front of him was Andy Jesse. And Andy Jesse was praying a next-level prayer. I mean, this was going on, and it hit me. As I looked at I opened my eyes for a moment because I, I sensed this compunction coming from this man, I, I, I sensed this depth of emotion that was coming out for him. And I realized that part of the reason that he was able to pray that way and did pray that way was he was empathizing because he had faced in his life some of the same kinds of things that Chris was facing. And you know, the Bible talks about that we're to comfort one another with a comfort that we ourselves have been comforted. That's what it means to pray. That's what happens. And you know, God really did bless Chris. And I'm grateful to say that he answered those prayers. And Chris, it's great to see you here today, brother. It's wonderful. Just another word about that. Chris's faith that day was an inspiration to me as well. Not only were those that were praying around Chris really crying out to God, but Chris was believing it. Chris was walking in it. Chris was facing, I believe, an uncertain time with the very best of attitude, with his heart and his trust and his faith held firmly in God. I believe that's the kind of compassion and depth of cry that Paul is, is really f- facing himself. And this is the kind of prayer that Paul is requesting. 
You know, I think it's important when someone says, would you pray with me? You know, and, and we are on the phone with them and we say, hey, I will be praying. I want to remind us all that it's so easy at times to tell somebody we'll pray and then we don't. We need to pray. May God help us and through the reminder of the Holy Spirit. I've done that so many times, I'm ashamed to say it. Then I'll see a brother and I'll remember, oh, I, I needed to be praying a whole lot more than I did if I did it all. God, have mercy on us. Again, Paul is aware of the resistance and these dangers and in the midst of this prayer, and he utters this phrase in this chapter. He said, that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. One writer commented on that line that Paul was saying he knew that there were people there that didn't like him. That he knew they existed. In his call for prayer, he went beyond his own needs and his own safety. But this person who wrote about that said he just didn't have any idea that they hated him that much. Man. But even though that was happening, he had Jerusalem on his heart. He had Rome in his mind. And in his mind's eye past Rome was Spain. Paul went forward without fear. He went forward doing exactly what John was talking about today, running. I love that. I thought that was amazing that John said that because of the fact that I brought in lyrics to a song that I wanted to read that I think really aptly talk about what Paul was doing in this uphill battle that he was on. Paul was not just willing to just let that battle come to him, but he was going to march with faith. He was going to run into Jerusalem to do the will of the Lord. There was a song called Run to the Battle a number of years ago. Steve Camp wrote this song. It was in the 80s, and I, I just think it's prophetic. I think it's profound. Listen. Listen to verse 1. Some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. And with everyone you meet, I'll take them the gospel and share it well. And look around you as you hesitate, for another soul just fell. Let's run to the battle. Verse 2, do you have your armor on? We're in the middle of a waging war. We've been training for so long, but have we learned to use his sword? We may not be many, but we serve a mighty Lord, and he's made us more than conquerors. So what are we waiting for? Run to the battle. And then it went to a bridge that was powerful. He has trampled down the enemy. And He has given us the victory. But when we pray, we learn to see that God's army, we are marching on our knees. Verse 3, there will be times when we grow weak, so let's keep our faith alive. And let our faces shine with glory, for He's helped us to survive and in that final hour, when you feel like you're ready to die, will you hear that trumpet sound? Will you hear that warrior cry? Let's run to the battle. Oh. Paul ran to the battle, praying that my ministry in Jerusalem 
would bless the saints. From the accounts of Acts, we learn that it was apparent that the contribution that Paul, that offering that he took there, actually did get delivered on his trip to Jerusalem. And Paul did end up going to Rome, just not the way he thought he would. He was arrested by the, by the Romans, and he was taken in captivity. And he would be a prisoner in this area that he longed to go. And amazingly, as we see that last thing of this passage today, he wanted that joy and that refreshing of being there. I want you to know that Paul did not lose that even as a prisoner. He went there and while imprisoned, wrote amazing letters that we now refer to as books, the Colossians, Philemon, the Ephesians, and the book of Philippians, all were written while he was a prisoner in chains. Amazing. The joy of the Lord was here. In application today, as we kind of come to the end of this, I believe that like Paul, you and I are living in a day that is uncertain. Uh, I would love to think that we would know that 2021 and 2020 and its impacts are all going to be gone in 2022, but we don't know that. We face this uncertainty both individually and boy, do we face it as a nation. There are forces today that are pressing against you and against me in ways that really are unparalleled in our entire lifetime. How do we respond in our heart? How did Paul respond in his heart? Well, number one, he never lost his evangelistic zeal because that zeal drove him to run to the battle, to share the gospel with people. I pray we never lose that. I pray that Metro Life Church, which really from the beginning, I remember Danny's first series. You know what the series was, Danny? was knowing God and representing Him to the world. That's what we're called to do, representing Jesus to a dying and broken world. Number two, Paul was settled in his hope and his faith in Christ in a time of uncertainty. In the face of danger, his hope remained unchanged. May we do likewise. And number three, and this is the point that I pray we all remember today. In this time of uncertainty, may we pray. May God call our church to a time of prayer. I'm so affected. I'm affected from what I've seen. Who could not be affected when you lose a friend to a terrible pandemic? Who could not be affected when so many people are sick and fear is raging in our country? Who could not be affected? Who could not be unmoved when an earthquake strikes an already ravaged nation in Haiti and devastates houses? Who could not be affected? When we see the images of this past week from Afghanistan and the threat that is there, we have a need to pray. Beyond that, we need to pray for our own country. Economically and culturally, we're in trouble as a nation. We need to pray. We need our church to be faithful and active 
to be living letters before our neighbors around us. We need to pray. We need to pray for our workmates, our family members who do not know the Lord, our neighbors. And finally, we need to pray for the next generation. I love that last slide that I showed you today of Chris and Steph because Chris had it in his heart as a young man to do the very things that he is doing today. I'm grateful that Chris Jesse ran to the battle. I'm grateful. And I pray that your children will do the same. I pray for my children that they will run to the battle because there's a whole world that needs them. They're facing things that we didn't face. And I pray that they will hang on to the values as Paul talked about, the cross of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Would you stand with me? Lord, let us run, I pray. Let us in this moment run to you in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would change our lives, that you would give us a burden that is a godly burden, not one born of fear, but out of conviction, out of your call to be courageous, out of your call for us to strive together in prayer. And to pray prayers that are fervent, Lord. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name.